Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 10. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, and consider Christianity as love and truth. We hope you'll come along for the conversation. You can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 10. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I just started into this. I was doing this yesterday. And it's this whole, it's kind of a, a, a tension here between, on the one hand, saying, you know, this notion that um, Jesus, and like, as you said, like, you know, quoting Keith Green, Jesus died, rose from the dead. I, I can't even get out of bed. And this kind of idea that, you know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of ideas that are really closely related, but but they're really quite distinct from each other. And they're going in different ways. It's just this tangle, really, that I'd like to try to unwork. And I'd like to to put to put in their proper context because there is a lot of emphasis on on Jesus dying for us and there is significant or significant enough emphasis uh on on this being a demonstration of God's love for us and i wouldn't i wouldn't sort of uh cut back against either of those two things i think my big issue is that trying to perceive um Trying to view this, view, view Jesus dying for me as a motivation for being a Christian in the first place is insufficient, generally. It's enough to pique my interest. It's enough to, to maybe uh, prompt my gratitude if I can believe in these things. But to use this as a pure basis for me loving God, I mean, nowhere in the scripture do I see this. Um, and then there's this contrast between Jesus saying, and, and this, I, I had no idea. I was just working on this this morning, and I had no idea it was so broad. This whole notion of the kingdom of God and, and you know, the accompanying kind of idea of the good news or the gospel. They're kind of, you know, um, pretty much synonymous. Um, and that these things aren't just, um, you know, we hear about the kingdom of God. Pardon me, let's say in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, when Jesus is saying, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Or the, the kingdom of God is like. And then we have a, a, a parable, right? Um, but this notion of the kingdom of God or God's kingdom or the, the kingdom of uh, God's son or et cetera, et cetera, flows all the way through the New Testament. It's obviously densest in the uh, Gospels, but it, it's, it's, it's all the way through. But doesn't Jesus say he came to bring the kingdom? Or is that a different kingdom? Um, well, that's interesting. Let's, let's, and uh, before that, <laughs> also before that, what also popped into my head was when you say there's, there's this huge, uh, emphasis on Christ dying for us. Where are we, where are you seeing that? Are you seeing that in the Bible or are you referring to the books that we've come across and have talked about. No, no, I think I'm seeing in the Bible. So just in terms of maybe some of the good references, some of the, not the good versus bad, but. <laughs> what are, yeah, what's a what good, good versus a bad reference? Well, let's take a, let's, let's take a reference that packs a bunch of stuff together, right? The more stuff we can put together in this topic, uh, I think is more, is best. So um, a really helpful reference is Romans 5, 8. Um, and, I, and I'm not trying to, I, I'm not trying to proof text with this. I guess my, my interest in giving you smaller pieces of text is I'd like to cover more ground, 
right? We can we can cover a big chunk. So this this whole um, it's kind of maybe the better chunk is Romans five six to eleven, um, which puts a bunch of stuff in there. Maybe maybe even from the beginning of Romans five would be better. But if I can just pull out some core notions without trying to sort of um, you know they're, they're they're packed in larger context, which give them some more sense. But this idea that God that Jesus' death indicates God's love for us. I mean, John three sixteen, right? I don't have to. I don't have to cite it. I mean, most people would kind of know that um, that verse. But but along with that, you know, in Romans five here, the core of which for this notion is is verse eight. You know, God proves His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and then you have other. There's John three sixteen. Uh, there's more on that in Romans as you go on. Um, but even so far, that's what hits me there is mm. it, it proves his love for us. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Not this proves his love for us. And the least you could do is believe and follow him. Boom. All this other stuff we've been reading and, and you kind of hear in popular Christian culture is that other part added on and what's, Mm-hmm. The realization I've come to in a lot in our discussions is, wait a minute, someone else added that in. Well, I kind of knew it wasn't in the Bible, but you hear it so often, and it's used as this very kind of manipulative yeah, way maybe. to get people to not end up in the fiery place of eternity, but get to heaven. Like it's it's <coughs> it's kind of used as a as part of the sales closing process. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, it is. But you're right. There's nothing in here about God did this, therefore you should do that. Right? And in fact, that's not what's going on in, in, in Romans 5. Um, we could read through that and kind of work our way through that. And maybe at one point we should. But I, I think bringing out this notion is a little more important. So when you when you go along, yeah, you've got God proves God's love for us in that um, Christ died for us. Before that, we were in right relationship with, with God. When we were in wrong relationship when we were in, as as Bible calls it, sinners, you know, those who were in wrong relationship with, with God, um, God made that first move. And that's an act of love. And we need to identify that as an act of love. And I would say that that's completely true. I'd be completely on board with that. That is an act of love. To understand it in any other way is is improper. And that's not just huge for this discussion. It's huge for some of the other discussions we've been having about um, – um, well, when we brought in some ideas about Reformed theology, when we brought in some of these these ideas about um, God being more interested, and maybe this is part of my blog stuff, uh, you know, ideas about hell, for example, and ideas about God's orientation vis-a-vis, um, you know, our, uh, this good God who is going to torment us forever because we didn't kind of make the choice to let him save us from being tormented by him forever so we'll go back a oh, little bit make sense go back a little bit though the the idea that god makes the first move is that always the case and the reason i ask this i'm i'm i ask that because i the criticism that i receive personally sometimes is that i am i am not making the first move that i am uh not i am stubborn and Nobody, I don't know if they would say that I'm stubborn, but they would say, well, because you're unwilling to make the first move, where the first move equals uh, fully surrendering yourself, uh, 
giving up whatever you want. That is Unconfessed so sin in your life. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on of all the possible things, but but the message that that I receive is you need to do something, and then all your questions about God will be resolved, or at least some of them. I mean, at least that connection that you want with God will finally come through. But the problem is, the reason that not a fan or any of these other things are not reaching you is because you haven't done something. Yeah. And that's incredibly frustrating to me. (laughs) I can't even tell you. (laughs) Let me try to be as generous as I can be to those who are giving you that message and to that way of thinking. And I would say that maybe what we're talking about here is two different registers, if you like. There's this kind of objective register where in objective, absolute reality, God has made the first move. Whether you're aware of this, whether you were told about this, how this was told to you and how accurately – God has done this. And maybe what they're trying to get at is you have some sort of a – in your life, you have, have this, this response. Now, the, the problem though is that <laughs> the absolute and the sort of contingent interface. And in plain language, that means what happens up here in, in some, I don't know, in, in the distant past that I can't access because I wasn't there – or what happens in heaven, which I can't access because I'm not there, has an impact and um, in the sense of it should have a, a, a draw for you in your life here and now. And you, there is a, a form of – I'm hesitant about this word uh, – but there's a form of responsibility or at least of response – but and you know, but the, but the problem is these two things have to come together in a real way, right? You can't have this this idea. You see this passage in Romans, right? It's it's not saying the idea that Jesus died for you. No, Jesus really did die for you, and the idea that God loves you. No, 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 no. This isn't an idea. This this really is God loving you in a real act that really did take place. But the problem is this has to interface with your life really here and now. Well, on the one hand, that's impossible. It's a historical act. If you believe that, that Jesus is who the Bible claims Jesus to be and that Jesus more or less, that more or less the events occurred as more or less they're, they're, they're put out in the Gospels, bearing in mind that the Gospels portray them differently and they do so for a particular reason. On the one hand, their um, – um, I was going to say qualities, but um, their rules of engagement in terms of historical – documentation are not the same as ours. doesn't mean they're wrong. doesn't mean that um, um, they're stupid. It means <laughs> the writers are stupid. It just means that, that they did not feel that the same types of constraints we deem to be absolutely necessary, i.e., if it didn't take place in this way, you don't write it down. Well, no, more or less they're bringing stuff together. Jesus is, is on the cross on a different day or spends different amounts of time in the tomb. Or, and that's all designed – for rhetorical purposes. It's designed for the, 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 for the, each one of those gospels is designed to persuade you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you need to, uh, enter into right relationship with Jesus Christ in order that you may be in right relationship with God and thereby with all things, including yourself. This is the whole stretch of it, the whole gamut of it. But this has to come to you in your reality here and now. And this kernel, this idea that Jesus' death shows the love of God, 
is supposed to be something that on the one hand strikes you as being real. You know, it's not just an idea and it's not, of course, something that you have to sort of muster all this energy up about like, oh, God, God, God did this for me. So I'm supposed to love God. Well, no, I, I, you know, I think if you buy the idea and, and by that, I mean, if it seems plausible to you, um, and I do think that, that that whole notion of plausibility can be explored a little bit more in the sense of, well, okay, well, you know, what's, what does seem plausible? How could that be plausible? Um, why would it not be? But I'm just kind of going with the rough assumption here. And people may disagree with me, and that's, that's fine, or say that – maybe not disagree, but say I'm not in that place. This, this comment doesn't apply. And I would say, yeah, you're probably right. It doesn't apply. But think about it hypothetically as though it does. And to you, I would say, John – because you can conceive of this and because this does make sense to you, part of what has to literally, I think, happen is the, the reality of who Jesus is has to become concrete for you in some way in your existence, in your lived existence. And more than just a, a mental belief or, yes, I, I agree that that's true because the Bible says that it is. Yeah, because what we're talking about here is we're not talking about ideas. We are talking about something that can be intellectually grasped, that can be cognitively sifted and weighed out, right? But part of what we use as the measures for that weighing process are not cognitive elements. They're experiential. It has to do with something that you experience. And who is this God? What is the relationship, the purported relationship? You know, you could go through the Bible and you could say, okay, here's the deal. The deal is that the, and, and, and this is, this is, I guess, what my reading would be at the very best. You know, I think there's a lot of different ways to read the Bible and depending upon our experiences with human beings, you know, so my experience with my parents plays a big role in how I can conceive, uh, God. Because, I mean, as, as children, uh, our first experience of, 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 of the divine is when we're, when we're infants with our, our parents and our parents are these, Godlike beings who can do anything. They move us around. They feed us. They do all these things. And of course, we, you know, we lose, the, we, we understand that, hey, you know, I was just a little, a little one of them. We're all the same. They're not gods. But, but nevertheless, our, the experience of that notion begins with us. We all have that because we've all been raised. We've all come from a place of complete powerlessness and dependence. And so we have that sense. And when we're put back in a role where we are, you know, to a certain degree, powerless and dependent. Like I can't go and write more. I could, I, I could, I, I suppose I could go write another book of the Bible, right? But no one's going to read it. No one's going to think it's authoritative. <laughs> no one's going to, you know, like whatever. It just, it's just somebody kind of being foolish or, or not understanding or whatever. But when I'm put back into that relation of dependence, that relation of vast, if you like, inferiority, then that, those kind of other experiences play a big role in how I read this. But reading it at its best, I'm reading a story about a being who created me, who is, who is significantly and, and, and um, significance, too small a word, who is vastly interested in me. And the, the motivation and orientation of that interest is love. That there are things that exist in my world, in, in, in the, the, Really, the more I read and the more I'm reading about this, in, in terms of uh, there are things that exist in my world, but also exists due to a confrontation within the spiritual realm. 
you know, um, that are thwarting my relationship with this being and that this being has taken steps to remedy that. And for me to be able to kind of, and, and that, what that means really is that there's a, there's a love relationship that, that exists there. There's a relationship of service, if you like. There's a relationship which implies and uh, requires um, obedience, understanding, um, patience, uh, many other things as I kind of, you know, interact with and engage with this being. But that the core of that interaction is love. The core of that is love. You know, unless we're willing to dispute the claims of the gospel writers of words attributed to Jesus very clearly. And I, I think there are very few people who are willing to do that. Um, and I, I don't think that there are any academic twists and turns, uh, you know, that, that would that would alter the position of the priority of love within the relationship between God to me and me to God. And then, of course, out of that, me to myself and me to others. But if if that's what's going on, if love is really at the core of that, then this cannot remain anything that's just simply you can grasp with your mind. Because, I, you know, I think at least my experience of love is love grasps hold of me. Love is bigger than me. Love uh, subsumes me. And I think, you know, as I may have said on, a, on occasion before, sometimes the English language is extremely frustrating. Like before when I was using the word significant, I said this word doesn't work. And I was really actually having a hard time finding a word that was correct. But other times, you know, language serves us well. And it kind of really captures something. And I think with love, it does so. And, the, and I'm referring to this notion of falling in love. We are kind of subsumed by it. You know, we're kind of tripped up by it. We're surprised by it. And, and I think the experience that, that, that is, is really key to being in relationship with God is on the one hand, the experience is an experience of love. And the reality is a reality of truth. Yes, God really is there. Yes, God really does exist. Yes, God really does love you. And, and how do you know that? Well, you know that experientially because you experience that love. Whether you experience it personally as something, let me take that back. Whether you experience it personally to the degree that you would need just from your personal experience, I don't know about that. I don't know that every person who is going to find themselves in a relationship with God Every person who um, yeah I'll, sorry I'll leave that part alone. every person in a relationship with God is going to find necessarily that they ha can say that you know I've had an experience of God's love that is just significant enough for me to 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 really be um, assured of 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 God's love for me well this is the this is the part that really eats at me, which is the sense I get, it's not said overtly, but the sense I get is you have enough, so you, quote, should be fine. <laughs> In other words, this is where, you know, you know, maybe I'm being stubborn or cynical or skeptical or whatever. And so my point back would be I'm the only one that gets to decide here. And my experience of my life is my experience of my life. If I'm interpreting it incorrectly well, hopefully God can help me sort that out. But, uh... yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, you um, and that it is. It's a, it's a tough call to make. Do you have enough? Well, 
It's easy for someone else to say, yes, you have plenty. But that's based on their experiences and their how they're wired, not how I'm wired. So <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> well, let think, me be me. <laughs> yeah, and I would think that would be somebody, I would hope somebody would be saying that who has a fairly intimate, who knows you fairly intimately, who has a, you know, a good sense of your history and these events who, you know, if somebody could, could say to you, listen, John, I mean, I know this, this event happened where you almost died. And I know that, you know, you know, these other things. And I just, I'm kind of wondering, like, how are you reading that? I mean, how, um, how do you see God involved in that or not? Or, you know, so I think somebody going through that process and walking through it. Yeah, that would be a great, the, com- no, that would totally, that'd be a great conversation to have. Yeah. But, but if they're, if they're throwing that idea at you without talking about your own personal background, I'm not really sure what they're talking about. I think they're talking, I think they're talking about, hey, John, listen, you've read the Bible. I know you spent time in church. I know you went to a Christian college. Uh, you, that's enough. Well, I don't, n- no, not really. I mean, that's maybe enough to give you some factual information. But the experiential content that's supposed to go along with that, I'm not sure what access that person happens to have to that, unless they're a good friend of yours who's spent a lot of time with you through those periods. You know? Um, but you, sorry, you finished off with the, the comment you just made. You finished off with something I was going to take in a different direction. And I, I can't quite remember what you said. So people said, would say that you have enough already. Oh, and that's your own interpretation. And your yeah, I mean... Uh, that's where things whole... get kind of murky a little bit in our conversations of, of and I use the air quotes, <laughs> experience, which yeah. is just as complicated, and I feel like, as the idea of love and what is love and... Uh, falling in love and different kinds of love and uh... mm-hmm. well i think there's two parts to that right one is in, in two parts to the whole experience issue on the one hand um if you're going to talk about experiencing god then you really have to have one really has to have a sense of what god is prepared and willing to do you know how god might be experienced by me and if I, you know, I can want, it's, it's like my comment, my frequent comment about going to the doctors. If I want to see the doctor, I either have to go to his office or know he's going to come to me. It's not magically going to happen just because I want it. And of course, that's a, it's a sort of a silly comment. Well, of course not. What's the, well, why should it be any different with God? Just because I, I have no, you know, I can't touch God. I can't physically see God. Well, no, it's not. It's not any different at all. So I think we've got to have this sense of kind of the the modes of interaction that God would want with us, that God would offer, that God would engage with. And and we get that through having a sense of who God is. And we need to get that sense um, through the Bible. I don't think there's, there's, there are other, you know, I can engage with God in nature. I can engage with the beauty around me. Um, the Bible does have specifics that nature lacks. Nature does have experiential qualities and, and, and uh, elements that the Bible lacks. Now, I, I think I, I would want to put all this stuff together, right? I would want to grab as much as I can um, to make this as, as easy as I can for myself. Um, but I think the other part that, that bears in mind is I'm coming from this, from the perspective of one who has already been convinced, right? And my convincing took place in a manner that, that is not like this at all. I had a lot of Bible background, had a lot of information. But for me, 
having given up Christianity altogether, it was not that I said to myself, ooh, you know, big trouble, big trouble on the horizon coming, Greg. There's a heaven and hell moment. You know, I was like, screw that. That's crap. That's utter crap. It's a, it's a pack of lies. And I'm not going to play to that. No way. Forget it. You know, and, and through a series of events, I find myself in a Christian place. You know, I'm there for reasons that are quite different from most people. I'm there on a holiday. I'm in a beautiful mountain setting in a very expensive country in Europe. And I'm using it to travel around and have a good time. And I'm there doing whatever I can so that I can free myself from my negative responses to these quote unquote stupid Christians. And, but I, I, one thing that's really important is I am talking about what can happen in terms of the, the process of what it might mean to be in a position of openness towards God. But this was not the route I took. And I didn't in effect take a route, right? I was, my, my hand was out and whether God existed or whether God didn't, I was hostile and I was like, you know, whoever you are, whatever you are, if you even are, I don't want anything to do with you. And of course, for me, what happened was a, a series of experiences, which were tremendously significant, tremendously, you know, big, big, big game changers. And I don't think everybody needs that because you're, you're in your position. You're not having, from what everything I hear you saying, it's not as though you are saying, ah, this whole thing makes no sense to me. Or uh, maybe more like I was saying, this whole thing sounds like this pernicious lie. Like I don't hear, I don't hear that from you. And I think if somebody is in that position, then, then this is a, what I'm suggesting doesn't even make sense. It's like, why would I even bother? You know, or maybe the, if somebody's actually in that position and listening to this podcast, the, the question is, why am I even listening to this podcast? This is a waste of my time. <laughs> I already got this deal figured out. I know the answers, right? I, I know what's going on here. And this guy's just spouting a bunch of junk. Well, no, I mean, the way this might work to changes depending upon who the audience is. And of course, the possibilities of this even seeming feasible changes depending upon who that person is, and what they've experienced, and how they've kind of processed that ex- those experiences and the conclusions that they've drawn. So yeah, for you... Can... Go ahead. No, well, I, I'm just, I guess I'm just saying f- for you in this process, it seems to me, um, if you're at the point of being willing to say, yes, this is believable, and further, yes, I'm interested in pursuing this, and, see, and weighing it up and kind of investigating it, then I would say that on the one hand, there's the question of how can God, how is God willing to relate to me? How is God willing in, in a certain sense to appear, to, be, to show up? And the other question is, what are my skills? What is my skill set like at weighing up this possibility of God appearing? How is God going to show up and how good am I at detecting that? And of course, we have, we have the same assumption on both sides. It's obvious how God will appear. God will appear the way I want him to. And it's obvious that I'll be able to detect God because I will. And, and my, 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 my point is, no, I don't think it is obvious on either, either case. And, and maybe the person is indeed uh, well enough equipped on both sides of the fence and really God hasn't shown up and that's down to God. And yeah, I, I'm well, that's exactly of... where I'm at. I mean, the, the place that I'm at is look, 
if it was just if it was as easy as you know letting go of something whatever that something is that i don't know what it is although i think the assumption is that i know what it is but i don't want to let go of it then i would but it hasn't happened yet so yeah where i'm at is god you know what's you know how i'm wired and i think you're out there and i'd like to know you in the way that my friend greg and others that i respect know you and i don't feel like i do yet so here I am. And I like what you're saying about using the skills and stuff that you have. I mean, that's why we're talking right now. Yeah. I have some technical skills enough to put together this podcast and an interest in recording things and uh, interest in building websites and that kind of stuff. So this fits right in and I'm doing it. Where yeah. it's going to lead, I don't know. But... Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to... If I can, if I can push in a certain push back in a certain sure. direction against one part of what you said, um, I mean, on the one hand, yes, God knows how you were wired, and I would say I could say the same thing for me in terms of my uh, contact ultimately with with my experiences of God. God knew what my past was. You cannot expect me, God, and God will not expect you to kind of uh, to ride roughshod over your past to, to ignore or somehow surmount you, to use your words, how you're wired. But, but, you know, one of the things that, that has to take place, I think, is there has to be, there are certain, if there are certain, in other words, there are certain fundamental aspects to who God is and how God relates. If there are parts in me that are broken or um, underdeveloped with relation with respect to those those modes of, uh, or those 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 ways in which God relates to me. I think God can still make contact with me. But well, then that gets back to what of, you were saying earlier, which is to heal those things. Exactly. But I don't even know what they are. So, <laughs> well, I, I would say from my from my perspective, I mean, again. Love and truth, truth and love. These are core to who God is. These are core to what it is to be a human being. These, this is, this is my, my chief assumption. And, and it comes out of my experience of uh, being a human being, my experience of being in a relationship with God, my, my, my theological study, my, my philosophical study, um, what it means for me to be um, uh, a spouse and a husband, to be a father. Um, my existence on this planet Right, and I'm not saying that 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 there aren't uh, lots of other components, you know. Uh, I talk about experience and all these other things, but these two qualities are for me essential. And as I look at God, and as I experience God, as I study the Bible, they're essential. And I think if we are functional on these two levels, we are able to interface well or well enough with God. If we are not functional on these two levels, either one, um, then, you know, we're going to have, it's going to be more difficult. And, and personally, personally, I would say that most human beings, um, if you want to put it in the technology terms, need upgrading on one of these two levels, if not both. And, and God is in the business on the one hand of meeting us where we're at. But 
um, I think God is also in the business of desiring the fullest relationship with us that can be. God loves us profoundly. God knows us deeply and truly. And what God, I think, is, uh, if you like, in the business of doing, God is in the business of calling us into right relationship with God's self. And that relationship can only be maintained over time and flourish through contact if these things are developed and matured in the way that they should be. So on the one hand, I am trusting God. When God says, hey, Greg, you know, essentially, proverbially, if you like, when, when I, through my experience, sense that God is leading me in a certain direction, when God is developing certain qualities in me, that these qualities are essential to who I am. Now, I, op- I happen to have some, of course, there's a good experiential feedback loop there. So, you know, one of the things that I find is that as I relate to God, as I trust God with certain things, as I let go my need to, um, I don't know, flee from, from situations that, that challenge me, that, that uh, I don't know, even where I'm successful and my, I let go of my fear of being successful, that I see that the person that I am developing into through this process of trusting God and being in relationship with God is a person that I like. I see that I'm able to let, that some of the things that are difficult for me, I'm able to let go. Some of my stress about, oh, you know, controlling my life in various different ways, whether it's working out too much or staying up too late. And these things sound silly, but, you know, basic things like sleeping well, like being in right relationship with food, not letting food be something that scares you or that dominates you or that you're repulsed by. Having right relationships with the natural things that it is to be a human being are really good indicators that whatever you're doing that's promoting those sort of um, right relationships is helpful for you. It's something that's keyed in well with what it is for you to be you and you to be a human being. And I find that the more that I'm in right relationship with God, the more that I'm trusting God and moving forward with, uh, you know, into areas of my life that are difficult for me, whether that's my marriage, my job, um, how I handle my personal time, how I, as I say, relate to food, relate to sleep, relate to exercise, um, that these things, that as I go through this, um, I, I like myself more and I enjoy existing and being more. And of course, there's, there's no kind of exclusive, like it's, I'm not saying that somebody who doesn't manage to, you know, you see some of these programs like uh, um, The Biggest Loser and all that. And you can, you can well imagine how somebody without any sort of overt kind of um, sense of God directing them or being in relationship with God about this can really have their life transformed by if they're 400 pounds and they, they, they drop down to, you know, 195 that's kind of a no-brainer, but but I guess what I'm saying is not so much that, that God is the only way through to this, but that in my relationship with God, I see a very comprehensive and I experience a very holistic um, enticement and invitation to change and to be a person Along these lines of love and truth, 
more one who can better relate to God. And, and through that, I'm better able to relate to myself, to others, to my world. And so this is part of what it is, I think, to be when, when in John, when Jesus is mentioning the, the notion of abundant life. And I think that's very much the basis for what this abundant life is. It's better existence here and now through right relationship with God. And that right relationship with God has a knock-on effect in a positive direction from my relationship with myself, with my fellow human beings, with the world around me. And I see those as, as kind of small incremental steps too versus the big lightning bolt. And yeah. I think the big lightning bolt happens for some people. I don't think the big lightning bolt is happening for me. Now, maybe it will at some point. But I like what you're saying about these little income, these different. Uh, the word that comes to mind is redeeming. Like these these parts mm-hmm. of our lives that are broken, they're being redeemed and made whole and made healthier. And I like that. I like that because I can see. I don't know that anything you like immediate is popping in my mind, but I just feel like I'm working on so many different areas of my life in little tiny ways that that yeah are improving relationships with others and could ultimately improve relationship with God. So I like that. Yeah, and I I don't think that like for you to see that as redeeming on the one hand, I would say for other people they may say, well, there's that you know I don't have that sense of oh, this is really broken or that's really broken. And I would say that, you know, it's probably both. It's probably, maybe you can identify certain things in your life and you're like, gee, I wish that were, this were different, but I've got, I'm getting really no traction on this. And then there are other things where, you know, you might think, ooh, this is working quite fine. Like, I remember the early parts of kind of returning to Christianity or, or just even contemplating it. And I just, whoa, whoa, I just sort of put my hand out and I said, listen, I've spent a lot of time in counseling because I come from a, uh, a sexually abusive past. I have spent a lot of time in counseling about sexuality. I have spent a lot of time considering this. So I'll tell you what, we can talk about a lot of areas, but don't, don't try to impose on me some, some silly ideas uh, about, about sexuality. Um, you know, and this is kind of me speaking to God, if you like. Um, and, I, and I think, again, God takes us as at where we're at. And so what I found is, <clears throat> and this kind of maybe comes back to this idea of truth and God knowing me, is that through my relationship with God, God has indeed validated and affirmed many of the things that I've known. You know, yeah, you've gone through this, Greg, and yeah, there's some strong affirmation for some of these understandings that you have, understandings of who you are and what you're, uh, what you're about. Um, but... On the other hand, and here's this, here's this kind of, you know, I've talked a little bit about truth and truth for me. Some things that we believe are true, that we might say are true for us, are indeed true. And that's what I'm talking about when God says, yeah, Greg, you've got these, these things from your past, and, and here's how they've worked out. And you know what? You've, you've, you've taken a lot of time, and you've looked at this, and you've, you've got these things right. These are great, fantastic. But there's also this element of, like, truth, Truth, in this sense, with a capital T. Truth with a capital T is not just some big trump card that comes in and kind of overwhelms my understandings of who I am, uh, tells me I'm, you know, basically a lousy person and tries to make me into something else. That is just not what it is to be in relationship with God. That is, that is totally not how it works. Every single human being comes. And here, you know, I'm, I'm mostly talking about adults. I'm not talking about 
you know, kids that accept Jesus at four. I mean, that's, that's a different sort of, that's a different sort of discussion. I think when I'm, when I'm talking to you, and I hope when people are listening, they're understanding that I am referring to this notion of more or less an adult considering this idea of Christianity, being part of this thing we call Christianity, or, or maybe being on the outs- outskirts of it, or maybe being very alienated by it, but, but being at, at an adult level of understanding and, and authority in terms of their own life and, and, and decision-making. Um, but, you know, the, the part about truth with a capital T, it's not just some big Trump card that comes in and trumps all my understandings, my self-understandings, but rather what I found is over time, while on the one hand, God was kind of, I, you know, communicating t- to me this, these, these kind of affirming sort of senses about, yeah, these things you've understood, they're great. But some of these things over here, right? Even if you haven't got, even if you've mostly got the broad brushstrokes right, there are other things that you don't have right. And you know what? Let's let them play out. Let them play out in your life. See how they go. What I heard in what you just said and what I really liked was, if there's any advice to offer today, <laughs> it's that if you know someone like John and John's position, the best encouragement you can give him is to remain open. Yeah. Remain open to God in the best way that you know how. Because that's that's kind of my approach these days. I'm trying to remain open. And that's I, I honestly feel like that's... That's the best advice I feel like someone could give me and something that I could actually try to implement versus something else. I don't know what that something else would be. Well, sounds like the other thing you've got is uh, is kind of like step step up to the plate, John, and make a decision. Or step up to the plate, John, and make the right decision. That's, <laughs> that's what I hear your other source is telling you. I don't know. Does that sound- well, no, it's, it's – well, it comes back to, you know – it comes back to the simplicity of not a fan. Mm-hmm. It, you know, really, I mean, you you got enough information. Are you going to be a fan or a follower? Just decide right now. And uh, I feel yeah. like we've drifted way far away from your original thing, which was <laughs> Jesus dying on the cross versus the kingdom of God. I don't know if you want to get back to that um, or if we should just kind of round this out and make that another episode. I think we could probably just just round this out. I mean, I would like to get back to that, but your point there about um, not a fan, yeah, I mean, that's really that's really crucial because there is that that sort of voice saying here. It's just this simple, right? Jesus died for you. Where and- do you want to spend eternity? You need to decide. Well, that's yeah. to me that's a no brainer because I do believe God exists. So. <laughs> Well, it's a no, but but tell me this though: is it a no-brainer because you believe God exists, or is it a no-brainer because given a choice between, you know, um, well, yeah, that something that's put, put, you know, between paradise and hell, like who's going to choose hell, right? And then, of course, there are most many many people who are simply repulsed by the idea and the sort of the the conniving uh, good cop bad cop. Jesus is here to save you from God. Well. <sighs> What's going on here, really? Like, why is Jesus saving me from God? Like, what what's the deal here? Why am I going to hell? Uh, what what did I do? You know, even even did 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 Hitler or Stalin deserve eternal punishment? Let alone, like, I don't know, that guy down the road who helps people 
you know, by, um, I don't know, volunteering in our community. I mean, maybe he's a butthead some ways and to certain people, but does he deserve to be eternally punished? Like, I think that idea is quite a, repulses many, many people. And so whether we kind of, I, I, I wonder sometimes if the, if the key notion, the key, the key decider is whether or not you can live with that idea and how you make yourself live with it. Because if you really believe that God is willing um, and, and quite intent on punishing every single human being who does not follow this kind of, uh, you know, accept Jesus as your personal savior, um, I, I, I think that's, that's probably uh, the deal breaker. Well, that's and like I, another year of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Another year of podcasts from the standpoint of, and I think this is very nuanced and many will hear this the wrong way, but the idea that um, God cannot stand to look at us or be with us in our broken, sinful state. And so that's why Jesus came to stand in the middle so that God can stand to look at us and, and be in our presence, which I think some would say, well, of course that's why he came. That's in the Bible. That's what I've understood my entire life. I've since through talking to you and reading some other things have kind of come to a slightly different view of that. And now I probably sound like a complete heretic, but. Well, you know, and that's, I think that's the really sad part is that, that when we, uh, um, when that word comes out, the H word comes out, um, the H word does one thing. It basically says, I'm not talking to you because you're not worth talking to. It shuts down conversation. It is not just, it doesn't just shut down conversation. It's an indication that conversation has been shut down for all of the right reasons. And there is no reason to revoke it until you, the other party, smarten up and change your mind. That is the religious sort of, uh, I mean, really, uh, I don't know how else to say this. It's, uh, it's, it's completely devaluing and disregarding the other person's perspective. And I would hope that in most, I, I, would, I would really hope that in Christian circles, you know, I might think something's heretical. I might think something is, is really difficult or dangerous. But you know what? Uh, I'd at least like to get to the place where I could say that in those words. I'd like to listen long enough and feel assured of my conclusions and then be willing and courteous enough to say to that person, I think that perspective is really dangerous. And I, I, I really disagree with that. Because the whole heretical, to take, to orient oneself in that way is to take the seat of judgment with the authority of with a quasi divine authority. And we are never called to do that. We cannot do that. And, and you see the Paul, the apostle Paul, there's a, a section there in, in, I think, believe it's Corinthians. I'm not sure which one of them, where uh, there's the question of somebody really being saved, really being a follower of Christ. And Paul, uh, very wisely backs way off of that and says, far be it from me because he knows exactly what's involved in this. Someone's trying to put him in the place of knowing with the mind of God. And Paul very astutely says, whoa, that's not me. No, that's no, no, exactly no. what these books do. Isn't it? Kind of? Well, 
I, I wonder. I certainly think it's anytime somebody's pulling out this idea of heresy, though, um, uh, unless <laughs> Which, unless it's following a long conversation, and I don't mean the two-hour conversation. I think I, I triggered you there. I don't think you ever answered my question. Which one? <laughs> if that's a heretical notion. <laughs> um, no, I don't think it is. Like you're talking about that that. Well, that there's, there's, Jesus I think there's, is in the middle, and that God can't stand to be with us because of sin. Yeah, and that Jesus was the only way to take away that sin. I think I don't want to take it a hundred percent away, but I also don't want to say that that's. Well, that's my frustration with certain brands of Christianity is that there's only just it's just one thing or the other. There's there's that's the only reason Jesus came, and that's what he came to do, and. That's why you should accept him, because if you don't accept him, then God can't stand to be in your presence, and you can't be in eternity with God. Well, you know, the interesting thing is you have just brought the conversation full circle to this relationship between Jesus coming to inaugurate the kingdom of God versus Jesus saving me from my sins. Really? (laughs) Help me out. You're excellent. Well, I mean, this whole idea. So if when I read the Bible— one of the things that, that is extremely important, and, and again, my training, my formal training uh, as an academician uh, and my research as an academician is in the area of hermeneutics, the theory and, and art of interpretation. And I've focused on two parts of – two areas within hermeneutics, biblical hermeneutics, so interpreting the Bible, philosophical interpret- uh, in hermeneutics. Interpreting existence. And crucial, crucial to both are the notions of context. So when I look at a gospel, a chapter in the New Testament, whatever, we look at this idea of Jesus saving us us from our sins – the context is, is, is incredibly important. And the context, of course, is always the Old Testament, is always the, um, you know, who are the people, who are the actors in this, in these, in these, these stories? And by saying story, I'm not saying that it's non-historical. Um, let's not get mixed up with that sort of stuff. But who are the actors in these texts? What is their context? What is their history? And, in short, there is no way to understand any of this if we take it out of the context of its its very, very uh, Judean, Hebrew culture, background, and particularly its setting within the covenant. There is no way to understand it, and it is, it is fraught and ready for misinterpretation if we do not do that, if we do not set it there. And so... Um, this notion that God can't stand us, etc. I mean, the Old Testament is is filled with the idea that um, you know God is holy. God has chosen the Israelites. The Israelites are to be a people set apart, and they are to be set apart um, through their actions and the way that they behave themselves, the way they interact with God. Um, and you know, we, we, the other thing we have to recognize is that. Obviously, the, the Old Testament itself and the, the Hebrew culture itself were set within the context of the greater ancient Near Eastern um, uh, societies and cultures that they found themselves within and, and, and you know, interacted with and tried to be, if you like, distinct from. And so, the, this whole kind of sphere of what it was to kind of be a Jew, be a Hebrew uh, within that period, uh, you're very set apart. 
You're very different. You act differently. Uh, you know, many things are the same. The sacrificial system, that was not new. That was not like invented in the Bible times. <laughs> you know, animal sacrifice and all this stuff, this is just commonplace. How it's done, some of the uh, implications of it, uh, these things, they were distinct. Some of these things were distinct and different. I don't have, you know, I've got John Waltham's books, who's a big guy on on the world of uh you know, the ancient Near East. And I've got some of his books over there. I read some of that stuff and haven't read some of, haven't read a lot of it. Haven't read enough of it. So I've got that waiting as a, as a bit of a project for me. But to come back to, you know, Jesus' orientation with the kingdom of God and Jesus dying for my sins, you know, um, I think from what I'm understanding, um, Jesus is the Messiah the one who was foretold in the Old Testament who came in order that the covenant could be fulfilled and that the people would be brought back from exile. The people still saw themselves as being in exile in New Testamental times. They still saw themselves as outside of the relationship that they were supposed to be having, should be having with God. Um, Jesus' presence and actions were about reconciling people with God. Now, I think the idea that God can't stand us, etc., needs to be contrasted heavily, as heavily as can be imagined, with the idea that God loves us. You know, if you, for everyone who is deeply steeped in the idea that God, you know, a, a, a sort of a Calvinist notion of human utter depravity and and the fact that um, maybe the, the, the correlative, the correlate, correlative, the correlate, <laughs> there you go, there's the word I'm looking for, of that, that, that um, uh, God needs to keep us at arm's length, needs to be really steeped also in Brennan Manning, because I think Brennan Manning has, has really, really got it. And I think he's got it for good reasons. I think he's got it because he's experienced it, but he's got this sense that God loves us, God profoundly as, 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 as Brennan Manning would say, furiously loves us. Yeah, and I like that because it, it, we've already, you've already added another dimension. There's multiple dimensions to this. Oh, there, there is. And I think, I, think, I think what's typical of human existence, I think tip, it's, it's, it's a human characteristic, is we get two things, one pointing in one direction, one pointing in the other. So in other words, God loves us furiously and God can't stand to be with us. Hi, what do you do with that? Well, you pick one of them. Exactly. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 10. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We also welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com. 
I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>